Amen. Well, thank you, Miss Terry. Y'all might not know this, but not only can Miss Terry sing, but she is also our new church secretary. She's probably thinking, oh, Lord. But I appreciate you, Miss Terry, singing. This morning, I want to ask you to do something. I just feel a spirit, a lethargic spirit in here or something. Stand up next to your neighbor and say, Jesus is alive. Stand up. Let's do some spiritual calisthenics this morning. Come on now, I didn't come here to preach to no dead church. Go shake a neighbor's hand, tell him Jesus loves you. Let's think about this for a minute. If he's who she just sang about, we ought to be excited, amen? So y'all go ahead, y'all ain't going to bother me at all if y'all take up a little time. I know a bunch of us has got COVID and some of us has got other problems, but the good news is Jesus can take care of any of it. And so I want you to get... Woke up this morning, let's pray together right quick before we read a passage of Scripture that is dear to the heart of Jesus, that should be dear to the heart of His church. And if we love God, we ought to love children, and we ought to care about the little kids as Jesus did. So if you pray with me, Father, this morning, we just claim our victory in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, we're going to be excited whether the devil likes it or not. And we're going to look to the Word of God. We're going to believe in the Son of God. And that, Lord, we're going to keep on keeping on. We're not going to grow weary while doing good. And we're claiming a harvest that one day, Lord, we're going to see and reap because of who you are and what you've done in our life. And today, as we open your Word, I'll pray you use it in this church for your glory and our benefit. And that, Lord, because of this day, we might reach more children for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 10. This is a very familiar passage. It's dear to our hearts. How many of you here got little children in your family right now? How many of you has got teenagers that you wish was little again so you could get a second chance? Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But guys, I want you to read something with me today that I think we need to pay attention to. It it comes from a story when one day Jesus was out ministering, and some people began to bring little kids. And when I say little kids, they were very small. They were probably toddlers, according to the original language you would... And he was bringing them to them, and they began to get upset, saying, oh, these kids is distracted. I don't know why, but they forbid them. They said, don't bring them kids around Jesus. Jesus got other stuff to do. But Jesus said this. It's on the screen. Let them little kids come to me. Don't keep them away. This is the redneck Marvin version. For such is the kingdom of God. And I want you to look at this with me this morning. It starts right here in chapter 10. We're going to start reading. In verse 13, it says, And they brought little children, emphasis in being little children, to Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. That's hard to believe. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. And he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. And assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. I want to talk to us today about the topic of bringing our children to Jesus, kids' ministry, and about the importance and about something that you catch in this passage and more in Matthew's account. But if we're going to reach children, we've got to do more and get them to go to youth group. We've got to do more than get them to come to Wednesday night kids' church. Do more than feed them a meal in the name of Jesus. If we're going to win kids that have victory, that have a healthy, vibrant faith that overcomes the world, we're going to have to do what the Bible says. And the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And some of us here are living testaments of the truth of that scripture. Now, that truth is not a promise scripture. It's a scripture of probability. 
It's not a guarantee if you train up your child in the way he should go 100% that he's going to return to Christ. But in all probability, that's usually the result. Most of the time, the natural result of training up a child the way he ought to be trained, when he gets older, he'll come back. And I don't know about y'all, but the things that was instilled in me about God when I got older began to come back to my mind. And he tells us as fathers, as parents, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. What he's saying is, don't do things that make your children angry, but bring them up. Here it is again, in the training and the admonition of the Lord. That word training can be translated also as discipline, in some translation it is. And that word admonish literally means to instruct. So to train children in the way they should go as a Christian as an adult believer who wants your child to become a believer and grow in faith and understanding knowledge of who Jesus is just like you, you've got to have to do something. You're going to have to train them. You're going to have to teach them and discipline them and instruct them and admonish them in the things of the Lord. Today we look here and we see something that you might not catch in this passage, but I'll bring your attention to Matthew's account of this same passage. Friends, why is it so important that we start as young as possible training up a little child to have understanding knowledge of God and the things that he will need to know to have faith to be saved in Christ? Because the window of opportunity to train someone up and form his biblical worldview is not as big as you may think. As a matter of fact, I want you to look at this with me. What is a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview, or equally could be called a Christian worldview, is a worldview based on God's unchanging word. And if you're a Christian, you should view the world the way God views the world. And the way God views the world is according to His holy word. Since God is the creator of everything in heaven and earth, he is the standard for truth. And the Bible contains the word of God, and God's word is truth. Jesus said, sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. A biblical worldview allows us to see things according to God's point of view. God's point of view is always according to his truth, and his truth is always according to his word. Doesn't matter what man's opinion is. Doesn't matter what the majority says. It doesn't matter what's become popular. What God has said always has been, always will be, and will never not be the Word of God. What this Bible is, is God speaking spoken word in print. Every time you read it, God has spoke this into existence, and He has brought it. So how we look at any situation is influenced by what we believe about God that only can come from his word. And I want you to think about this. Jesus says right here, let these little children come to me. Do not forbid them. We would never do anything purposely to forbid kids to come into Jesus. But sometimes I think we do it by not what we do, but what we don't do. And friends, today, Jesus, if he's going to be able to touch kids, and he wants kids to be touched by the love of Jesus, we're going to have to be the hands and feet of Jesus that do that. If they're going to experience the, the, the love of sitting in the presence of Christ and knowing that Christ loves you and he, he, he cares for you, come and sit with me in my lap, we're going to have to do our part. And friends, if you look right here, Jesus says something in that next verse. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, everyone who does not receive the kingdom as a little child will by no means enter it. What's he talking about? If you don't receive the kingdom like a little child, you will by no means enter it. You see, a little child is different than an old person. The older you get, the more indoctrinated you get in what you believe about the world. A little child is new. He's like a a new computer. His hard drive ain't jacked up yet. 
He's not overloaded. He's not already filled with his opinion. You see, the Bible says if God's going to be able to lead you, that you got to trust the Lord with all your heart. That means you can't lean on your own understanding of what you believe is true, the way your point of view is. You've got to, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Then He will direct your path. The biggest enemy to God directing your path is you and your opinion that's already been preconceived before you see God's opinion in the Word of God. And the longer you wait on little kids and let the world indoctrinate them and let the hellish public schools indoctrinate them because they are indoctrinating them. Information is powerful. Information influences. And influence transforms and conforms. And friends, today, the natural result of living in our society will make you not a person who has a biblical view, but a person who has an unbiblical view of the world. And I want you to think about this. Right there he says, unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, you will by all means enter it. Listen to what Matthews says about this. If you want to turn there with me, I should have said something, but just mark this. It's in Matthew chapter 18. And listen what Jesus says. He says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's he talking about? Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven until you are willing to humble yourself, take away your beliefs, what you think is true, and accept God like a little child. You ever notice a little child when he's young believes whatever you tell him? But when he gets to be a teenager, he's a new animal. He thinks he knows everything and you don't know nothing. But when he's a little kid, Papa knows everything. But boy, all of a sudden there's something happens. It's like a switch. You go from being dad, the smartest man on earth, to being dad, the stupidest man on earth. When he gets to be a certain age. And friends, listen, when he's growing up, if you don't get him grounded in the word of truth, indoctrinated in the things of God, why he's formable, why he's mobile, moldable, why his little mind is fresh and you can talk to him before he's growing and being hard-headedness and steadfastness, you're going to lose that child. I'm not saying God can't save him. But I'm saying in all probability, it's a lot harder to save one who hasn't been grounded, who hasn't been taught. I want you to think about this with me for a moment. A worldview, whether it's Christian or not, has to deal with these things. Everybody in here deals with this. Every worldview, Christian and non-Christian, biblical and non-biblical, deals with the questions of origin. That's the past. Where did we come from? And purpose, the present, why are we here? And destiny, the future, where are we going? And in the midst of all of that, there's the overwhelming question of morality. How shall I live? And if you don't have a biblical understanding grounded in what God says about these things, the gospel's not going to make any sense to you, much less attract you. Because I want you to think about this. Where did we come from? Well, according to the Bible, it answers these questions. Very good. Creation tells us how and why we exist. We were created by the Father, by God, and we exist for His glory and to love and serve Him in fellowship. But we understand what has happened to the world. The fall. Sin entered into what God created. And the curse is on mankind and creation. And then as you begin to go through the Word of God and you teach a person, they're going to learn the law. You see, there is, whether the world wants to believe this or not, an absolute truth. There is a definite right and wrong. And the only one who can determine that is the one who created it all, the one who is God, who is the mighty, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, 
everlasting God. So he gave us his laws. His laws could not save us, but his laws showed us what truth and what a lie is. It shows us what is righteous and what is unrighteous. And friends, listen, when you begin to be taught the word of God and you begin to get a biblical worldview, you begin to see man's need for salvation. Man is hopelessly condemned by sin. And sin has corrupted everything that God created. I don't know about you, but I don't find a better explanation of what I've experienced in 59 years here on earth than I do in the Bible. And then God has have a plan to save us all. It's the gospel. Friends, when you've been taught from a little age the biblical account of creation, where we came from and why we're here, the biblical description of what's wrong with the world and why it's the way it is and why evil is here. The fall. And you understand that God has a law. He has a true right and wrong. He has a definite, absolute truth. But we don't live by it. You understand why the world is the way it is. And friends, listen. A person who has never been taught the basics of creation and believes in evolution. He's never been taught the, the basis of sin is the problem and believes what they teach is the problem is we're not properly governed, that we, the right people ain't in charge, and that the problem is that we've miskept and we haven't disrespected nature and the climate. You hear all this garbage going on is the problem. The problem is us. It's not our climate. It's not that the world is wearing out. And friends, listen, the condemnation, man's need for salvation. Man is not good in himself. Man cannot fix himself. That's where God's plan comes in. I want you to think about this with me this morning. Whenever we begin to look at little kids, if someone doesn't take responsibility to train them up and teach them biblically what many of us took for granted, I was taught about creation. I was taught about Adam and Eve and sin entering the garden. You may believe it wasn't an apple, but if the Bible says it's an apple, I believe it was an apple even. You may not believe in a seven-day creation, but I don't believe God needed millions of years of evolution to help him create this. I believe God spoke, and he spoke it in six days, and on the seventh day he said, man, this is good, and he rested, and he celebrated in himself and his awesomeness and what he created. And we was created exactly the way we are now. But I believe also sin entered in through Adam and Eve and corrupted what God created and said was good. And from there, we needed direction. And in His love, He gave us the law. He gave us the Ten Commandments, which is just a very small portion of what you need to know. Because the law is more than just the Ten Commandments. It's every precept. It's every statute. It's every bit of how you should live your life that's in the Bible, Old and New Testament. And none of us can do it. None of us live that way. Why? Because we're corrupted. We're defiled by sin. Sin is the problem of the world. And so God sent Jesus. And Jesus came. And He showed us what it looks like to live without sin. He was perfectly righteous. He was without sin. He was the Son of God, what we were like before sin got a hold of us. And He overcame sin. And then He was willing to die for us, to pay a price for us, to redeem us. And He died on the cross. See, it doesn't make sense without all of it. And friends, the world is filled today. Your grandchildren... 25 and under who do not believe what we believe about the world. They don't believe in creation. They believe in evolution. You see, the prevalent worldview today in American culture that we live in is called postmodernism. It's the modern view. It's past now. The age of modernism has not helped us. It has totally hurt us as a society. You see, postmodernism doesn't believe in creation. They believe in evolution. You see, they believe that we are the product of random acts of nature. And because we're just the 
product of a random act of nature that we just more or less are an accident. There's no real purpose for why we're here. Friends, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time believing that everything came from nothing and that nothing created everything that I see. I have a much less trouble believing in a creator. Now, I don't know about you, but we came in here this morning and we're in a building. Pretty fairly nice building. Because I'm in a building, I know somewhere there's been a builder. How do you know there's a builder? Because I'm in a building. How many of you like art? I don't like art, but this will be a good illustration. When you look at a picture, and it looks and it cranks your tractor. Ooh, oh, that's beautiful. I think I want to buy it. I know it's $7 million, but I got to have it. The fact that you're looking at a painting is evidence that there's been a painter. I don't know about y'all, but I look all around. I see creation. I don't see chaos that came out of an explosion. And this is what happened. I see the mind of an intelligent, awesome, all-powerful being that's bigger than anything will understand this side of heaven that one day decided he wanted fellowship. He wanted to create something to bring glory to his greatness. And he said, let there be. And from there on, friends, it's all here. I see people like me, and whether you want to admit it or not, like you, who messed up his perfect creation. Because he gave us a free will. Because he wants us to bring him glory. He's not going to make you believe in him, but he's sure going to try to make you choose to know him. Because out of all things on earth, the most important thing when you leave here is did you know God? And does God know you? But you got to be told about creation. you got to be able to believe in creation. Friends, if you take someone who's been raised in a secular school setting where God's been taken out completely, no prayer, no Bible, no mentioning of Jesus, if teachers can't even allow, but they are allowed to teach evolution and science and homosexuality and transvestites and all of the things that the world says is right. And that's what they're pumping in our children every day. Let me read something to you. I just got this from our newsletter. This is the, the annual, the, the monthly newsletter, the Baptist News from our association. And this is an article that he put in there. It says, Michigan's Attorney General says a drag queen in every school. Dana Niesel, Michigan's first openly gay Attorney General, says there should be a drag queen in every school. Matt DiPerno, who's running against Niesel for re her re-election, says this shows how out of touch she is with our state and our people. Our test scores are some of the worst in the nation thanks to these disastrous COVID lockdowns and preposterous policies. But she's calling for drag show queens in every kindergarten. Do you know why they would do that? Because they understand what Jesus said. A little child is very teachable. He's very humble, which means he's very gullible when he's little. If he's shown transvestites as being normal and being something to be accepted when he's in kindergarten... And he's told all the things they're being told that creationism is a thing of faith, but evolution is a thing of scientific proof. And he's told only what can be proven by science is true. If science can't prove it, it can't be true. Then he's going to have a hard time when he's 18 and the world's eating him alive to believe that there's a God who created him. He's already been formed. He's already been conformed to the world. Now, I'm here to tell you, God's grace can save anybody. But in all probability, can't you see how easier it is for people to come to Christ when they've been trained in the way they should go? And they've been admonished and taught and instructed in the things of the Lord their entire life? So our work is cut out for us because we're losing this fight. Why is it so important, Brother Marvin, that we step up our game, that we do everything we possibly can 
to invest and not just get kids to come and eat a meal, play in the playground, all that's good. Have a wonderful time here in Jesus' name. But indoctrinate them with the Word of God. Why is that important? Because they are going to indoctrinate them with the biblical worldview that's going on around us that has caused the chaos that we watch every day. May I remind you, a biblical worldview, it's important to remember that a worldview is comprehensive. It affects every area of life, from your money to your morality, from your politics and to your art and entertainment. What you believe about the world is what you're going to believe about money. It's what you're going to believe about morality. It's what you're going to believe about politics. How can so many people be willing to support the godless platforms of this anti-Christ political movements because they, have a, they don't have a biblical worldview? And friends, I want you to understand something here. Art and education, uh, education too, but entertainment. You look at it. How much can you find on the TV or at the movie house or on your social media that is biblically focused on a worldview according from the Bible compared to, friends, listen, on every sitcom you get on, they are putting what? Homosexual characters. You know why? They want to indoctrinate this generation before long to believe that's okay. And I'm not here to beat that up or to beat those people up, but I'm here to tell you that God's Word has taught a whole different truth. But we shouldn't blame that because they glorified adultery. They had glorified all the other stuff that caused us to get to that long ago on television. You know, I can remember my mama telling me the story about when Elvis came on TV, they would only show him from the waist up. Because what he did with them legs was too vulgar for good American young people to watch. Man, what are we looking at now? Look how far it's come. It hasn't went toward God but it sure has went away from God. You see, that's a means of indoctrinate. You know why they thought that way back then? Because they had a biblical worldview that we naturally got by growing up the way we did. I don't know about you, but my parents told me about Adam and Eve and told me God created us. And every night when I laid down at bed, we said a little prayer that I, back then I didn't really think much of it, but y'all remember it, y'all said it too. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Now, I forgot it. I knew it. I told you, Diane, how's it go? Y'all know it. Now I lay me down to sleep. Thank you for helping me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I can remember when I got old enough to realize, I hope I don't die tonight. I'm laying in the bed thinking, if I die, I hope I get to go with God. I, I, I better do good. And people say today, don't be telling kids about dying. That, that'll give them a complex. That'll hurt their feelings. No, it might hurt their feelings, but it might save their soul. Friends, I don't know about you. I'm glad my daddy taught me right and wrong. If you didn't believe there was a definite right and wrong in my house, show up when Huey Cooper took that belt off. And you realize that there is a right and wrong according to the gospel of Huey Cooper. Where's that at today? Not only do kids don't receive any discipline, if you as the church try to discipline them, the parents take up for the kids and get mad at the church. Over and over and over. And friends, listen, the biblical worldview, I want you to think about this. True Christianity is more than a set of ideas that we use at church on Sunday. Let me say that again. True Christianity is more than a set of ideas that we use on church on Sunday. Amen? Let me do like Brother Dennis. Let me try that again. True Christianity is more than a set of ideas that we only use when we go to church. Okay. Christianity is taught in the Bible. If it is what it says it is, it is the only worldview. There is no other. 
The Bible never distinguishes between a religious life and a secular life. The Christian life is the only life, according to this book I got in my hand this morning. And not only that, but when Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said, I am your worldview. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And friends, I don't know about y'all, but today... We need to understand the importance of teaching our kids if they ought to be saved. You say, why is that? Because the more the world falls away from a biblical understanding of where we came from, why we're here, what is the purpose of life, the more they fall away from where we're going, we're going to answer for this life, the more the world is going to get away from God. Turn with me to 2 Timothy and we're going to begin to close. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You say, why is it so important that we teach the kids the word of God and and do everything possible to, to diligently and with much urgency and effort get them to understand? Let me ask you something. School starts back in two weeks. And they'll go back to school. And I'll be glad when summer's over with and we can get back to a halfway normal routine. And our whole society, when you got kids, is influenced by public school. We go through much effort to publicly and secularly educate them. We spend money. We build schools. We train and equip teachers. And we... We, we spend tax dollars paying them teachers. We buy school buses to get them there so that we can educate them so that they can be a healthy, productive, contributing member of secular society. And I'm all for that, are you? Why don't we make equal effort to educate our children spiritually as we do secular? And don't think that secular education hasn't took it upon themselves to absorb you and your parenting to put what they believe in your child that does affect them spiritually. So if we're going to overcome that, we've got to accept that we've got to take personal responsibility. First of all, it's not our job to train up your children but it is our job to come alongside of you, mother and father, and to help you in every way we can, to assist you. And there are kids who's never going to have a parent to be able to train them up, so it is our job to stand in their stead and do everything we can to bring them to Jesus, to sit them in the lap of Jesus so they can be touched by Jesus, so that Jesus can love them like he loves us. And it's not going to happen with the casual approach that most of our churches are taking. It's going to take work to win our children back. But the good news is the Word of God is so powerful that it's living and powerful that it's able to take our children back if we'll take time and believe in it enough to build it into their hearts and minds. When you look here, the Bible says in chapter 3, but know this, that the last days that in the last days perilous times have come. How many of you think we're in perilous times? They're not coming. They're here. And he describes them. These perilous times in the last days are going to be made perilous because of men. Not because of government. Not because of inanimate objects but because of what men do with the creation. I want you to look at what he says. They're going to be lovers of themselves. And he gives you a list of all these things. They're going to be traitors and headstrong, proud, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And with all of that, it's even more. He says they're going to be unthankful, disobedient to parents, um, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. They're going to be brutal despisers of good. But look at verse 5. On top of all that, they're still going to claim a form of godliness. They're still going to say, oh, I'm believing God. I'm 
I'm a believer. He says they're going to still have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny its power. What is the most basic, greatest evidence that we've met Jesus and that Jesus lives in our heart? It's not that you made a profession of faith. It's not that you prayed to one, two, three, repeat after me, sinner's prayer. It's not that you joined a church and your name is in a roll, and it's not even that you've been baptized. It's the fruit of repentance, a changed life. Transformation is the confirmation that the information you had took root. (laughs) Tony Evans said that. I wish I could claim it. Transformation is the confirmation that the information has taken root. Friends, a changed life. And he says right here, they deny the power of. They say they have a form of godliness. Look at what he says in verse 7. He says they're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And in verse 8 he says, they're like this these people, Janus and Jambres, who resisted Moses, who was God's leader, who God gave to give the Ten Commandments and the whole first five books of the Old Testament. He says, but they resisted Moses as they resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. Friends, look around today. When you take the biblical worldview and examine people in the church today, the church is filled with people who corrupted minds, who have disapproved themselves concerning the true faith, who resist the men of God, resist the Word of God. They don't want to hear the Word of God. They want to redefine the Word of God. They want to redefine what the Word of God has already defined. The Word of God defined marriage. The Word of God defined a family. The Word of God defined how the church should operate. It ain't up to the Negotiate change amongst ourselves. So that's what we're doing. It's what's already happened. And we're in these last days. Friends, the only thing that can save us is what saved Timothy. Paul says when you get down to verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then he says this wonderful verse. He says, but Timothy... All these men are imposters. They're of corrupt minds. They've disapproved themselves for the faith. They resist the truth as they resisted Moses. And he says, they have a form of godliness, but there's no power of God in their life. And because of that, resist them. Stay away from them. He says, and then the verse above this, he says, but evil men, will imposters, people who say they're representing God, will grow worse and worse and deceive and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I could have preached a whole sermon on that one verse, and I think I will probably, but all of this was to get you to understand the importance. He said, Timothy, you need to continue in what you already have been taught and learned and know about the things of God. And you also be assured of who taught them to you. Who taught them to him? Paul. And if you flip back with me, turn back with me to chapter 1 of this little book. And Paul says in verse 5 of chapter 1, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, I am persuaded it is in you also. Thank God for a godly mother and a godly grandmother. But look what Paul says when you look at verse 2 of chapter 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, we're speaking what we've received from those that we can trust, who taught us sound words. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Friends, listen. It is very important that we understand that the Word of God is living and powerful. It never returns void. It always accomplishes what God says it out for. But you've got to have the Word of God in your heart. And friends, the Word of God bears fruit every time. Paul is talking to a young man whose father was a Gentile, 
who was a non-believer, but his mama was a Jew. That lady and her grandmother took the Old Testament Scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament. It's being written. What did they have? They had Genesis, Exodus. They had the Old Testament. And they taught their kid. And Paul said, what you learn from them, from your childhood, the things that you know about the Holy Scriptures, predominantly the Old Testament, probably the first five books, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You can bring them to every church service. We can send them to every camp. We can go to every event. And those are good things. And we're going to let you hear some praise reports on some stuff that God did. But if those events and those camps... And what we do is not built upon the foundation of thus saith the Lord. And our chief effort is to get what God has to say into their hearts, so, into their minds, so that they can bear it in their hearts. They will go to hell. We've got to get back to teaching the Word. I want you to think about this. It pleases the Lord to perform His Word. That's what the Bible says. That's why I keep preaching it. I want to quit doing church all the time, but I never want to quit preaching <laughs> You know why? I really don't believe in church all the time. Because church ain't always what it's supposed to be. But I've never not believed in the Word of God. I've never not seen the Word of God let me down. Church can let you down because the church is us. But when the church is built on the foundation of the Word, filled with people whose lives are motivated and the purpose for why they're here is the Word, and we are about sharing the Word, let me give you something. Isaiah said, for as the rain comes down from the, and the snow from the heavens. How many of you got that good rain last night? How many of you have been praying for rain? You realize how needy we were for this rain when it's dry. What happens when it's dry and there's no rain? Your grass dies. Now, the one thing good about it, you ain't got to cut it and weed eat it as much. But also, your hay dies. Your gardens die. You see, God compares his word to the rain. Listen to this, my friend. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and they do not return, but they water the earth and they make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Youth camp will pass away. Blast Wednesday night will pass away. Church, if that's all it is, by next Wednesday will pass away. But the Word of God says that the Word of God is living and it will abide forever. Friends, we must invest the greatest thing we have to offer into our kids, the Word of God. You know, I was thinking, y'all all know, y'all hear me. And, and I'm not very nice to Catholics. I grew up Catholic. And I was shown this week that I have a lot to be thankful for to Catholic Church. Because when I was growing up, my parents were divided on church. Daddy was Baptist, Mama was Catholic, so we went to church with Grandma. My mom was Mama, and we went to Mass every Sunday. Never got a lot out of that Mass service. I knew how to tell when we was fixing to go home by what we were doing. When the priest pulled out the chalice and poured the wine, praise God, we're fixing to eat the cookie and go home. I realized real young that they make you stand and sit up all them times to keep you awake. But you know what? My mama made me go to something called catechism on Wednesday night. Y'all ever heard of catechism? And I went to catechism from a little bitty kid. When I was in first grade and second grade, my grandma would pick us up after school on Wednesday, bring us down there to the Catholic church and drop us off and bring us into catechism. And... When you're six years old, you do First Communion. And they teach you about First Communion, and they tell you all about it, and how it makes you forgiven of your sins. And I took First Communion. 
after first communion, they begin to prepare you for first confession. And at nine years old, I took first confession. And they told you about how we sin and how God has to forgive us. But in the meantime, all of that, they taught me about creation. They taught me about Adam and Eve, about sin. I didn't realize it, but they were training me up in a good way. And that was the Word of God. It was being invented. I can remember the little ladies that taught it. Miss Dot Chatelier, um, Raven Stein, Maggie Davis. I was their worst nightmare. Because I didn't want to be there, and I made them not want to be there a lot of times. But they kept teaching those doctrines and those biblical truths. And at 12 years old, I was confirmed a Catholic. Lost as a goose, hell-bound like all the rest that ain't got Jesus. But I was confirmed. But you know what I thank God for that Catholic experience for? They gave me a biblical worldview that a lot of your kids don't even have in Baptist church. I believed in creation. I believed Adam and Eve. I believed in the fall. I believed that there's a true, genuine, true, right and wrong. I believed that there's a judgment that I'm going to answer to God. And all of that came back when I heard the gospel for the first time in a Baptist church. Friends, listen. We need to understand. It doesn't have to come from the place. It's not the place or the source it's the Word that does it. There's false prophets who ain't even called by God who can preach the Word and a person could get saved if it's the true gospel. But friends, the gospel is what we need to get. The power of God's Word. This Wednesday, we're going to have a special Wednesday night. Everything's canceled. Everything's going to be right here. We're going to have hamburgers and cheeseburgers at 5 o'clock. I'm asking everybody in here to come if nothing else but to pray for our kids, to pray for our leaders. Our two leaders over here, we never see them because not only do they do children's ministry on Wednesday night, they're doing it right now on Sunday morning. But friends, we got to all work together. we got to all pull together and make an effort that is making a difference in our kids' life. You see, the Bible says, David said, your word I have hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against thee. we got to get the word in their heart. And I'm inviting everybody who cares about kids to come. You might not be able to do anything, but maybe help in the kitchen, maybe help another teacher sit in there. But I'm going to tell you what, the more people that we got here and the more we focus in on investing the word of God into our kids, the bigger difference we're going to see. Because every time we teach the Bible, every time we share God's word, it pleases the Lord to perform what it says. And he is faithful. There's two things Brother Dennis always says about God. There's two things God can't do. Do y'all know what they are? Two things God cannot do. It's impossible. God cannot lie, and he cannot fail, or he ain't God. And God has said that I will perform my word. It will not return void. I will cause it to bear fruit and accomplish what I set it out to do. I don't know about y'all, but I believe when we send it into little kids' hearts, God uses that to lift up Jesus and draw them to Christ. Today, it is important. I know we're down to looking around. Who would we have? Well, what I want to ask you is if we don't invest in our kids, what will we have? What we've got? We've got to get back to the basics of doing what we need to do in our children's lives. And I want to invite you to come to this meeting to support and encourage those. We already got teachers for every class, but we can use helpers. And we already got people to help do a meal, to get them here. But listen, the meal ain't just to eat. The purpose of the meal is to feed those kids so their parents that send them don't have to worry about feeding them on a school night. And when they come here, all they got to do is get their homework done. It's to make it easier for those, but it's also for the workers. If you work and you come, it's for you and your family. One thing you don't have to worry about if you serve here is you don't have to feed your family when you go home. You come here and Wednesday night needs to be completely focused on winning our kids to Christ, children's ministry. I'm praying about this. What would be the most influential and the greatest impact for the kingdom? Brother Marvin doing another devotion on Wednesday night to people who's heard more sermons than we could ever count in a lifetime. One more sermon. 
or everybody being in here investing in kids loving on kids showing kids we care if you can't be in here be in there praying for kids what would happen if those up front quit praying and I'm not against we need to pray for people in the hospital people who are sick people who are with cancer but what if every Wednesday we prayed for each teacher in each class while they were in there? If they got a kid that they see God dealing with, if they got a kid that they is trouble like I was at catechism, they give us that name. What would happen if we had a problem kid who's disrupting the class and everybody in here who's older in the faith got in their chairs up there on Wednesday night and said, Lord, this kid here is a special case. So he's got our special attention and we're going to pray for him until you do something about it. That'll get us out of our comfort zone. Yes, it would, but it would get that kid saved. Friends, we got to wake up. we got to do more. And I'm ready to do all I can for these kids. I hope you are too. We don't have to have an invitation today. The invitation is come Wednesday. The invitation is seek God and ask God, what can I do to invest in the children that are you are bringing to Bethany Baptist Church? Thank God for bus drivers. Thank God for... Everyone who does everything that we need to do. But friends, the more we got, the more we can do. And I'm inviting you to seek God and ask God to show you what you could do to help. Come on Wednesday night, we're going to have two prayer lists. The regular prayer list and the prayer list that's going to come from Miss Jessica and them teachers for their classes. We need to pray for them. I don't know about y'all, I get discouraged as the pastor. I'm sure they do too. We need to lift them up. We need to pray for them. And as some of us is here, that could be there to help them. I'm going to pray. I'm going to leave this for you and Jesus to do what you think to do about. But I'm here to tell you, the future of this church is at a crossroad. If we don't step up our game to invest in the future of our children, we're going to see the results are not going to be what we want. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for the gospel, for its power to save. But I'll thank you for the complete and whole counsel of your word that shows us where we came from, how we got here, why we're here, what the purpose in life is all about. That shows us where we're going and the possibilities of the choices that we make and the consequences that they will bring. Lord, I thank you that regardless of where we are, we can be saved, that our little kids can be changed by the power and the transforming truth of your word. Lord, you told us to be not conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Lord, help us to do that. Transform us and help us to transform others. Lord, I'm praying, I'm begging for you to move on us and help us to make a difference in these children's lives. In Jesus' name.